Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. What is your definition of peace? Do you have it in your life? Or are you so busy trying to take care of everything that you never ever bother to look for it? Another word for peace is rest. If you aren't resting well, then chances are you haven't found peace. Pastor Jim teaches you a new word for peace, but the meaning is the same. There is an abundance of evidence in the Bible that peace and rest are when you experience God more fully. Have you heard God lately, or do you need to find more peace and rest? Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of Psalms chapter 3 as he continues his message, Shelter from the Storm. There's something about saying something out loud, maybe because it's coming out of your mouth and it's going back into your ears versus that, that quiet kind of thing that we do. That doesn't mean that's wrong, but it's good to pray out loud. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me, or some verses say he answers me from his holy hill. That's the place of sacrifice. David is a long way off from there now. Selah. Think about that. Think about that. Perhaps King David is lying awake, trying to fall asleep. The lies are swimming around in his head. And all of a sudden, God shows up, meets him, and the lies give way to the truth. So what does David do? He, he turns his attention away from his enemies to the character of God. David realizes that he is surrounded by the Lord, that the Lord has love to come and meet with him in his distress. And he says, you are a shield. Lord, you are a protecting God. You are a sovereign God. Sovereign means God is in control, or we say he's large and in charge. Possibly it comes down to this. Another, I think, important principle. Whatever you gaze at will grow larger in your heart. Whatever you gaze at will grow larger in your heart. Yesterday at the wedding, I did something I've never done before. Uh, we were, I was at ground level. I've done that before. And the groom is very close with his mother. And she was sitting there, and she was sort of, you know, just like, oh. And I had met her, she's a lovely woman, before the service while we were waiting for them to come in. And I just said to her, come here. And I grabbed her hand, and I said, as the bride was walking down, I said, why don't you share this moment of joy with your boy? And the two of them were just like, oh. Whatever you gaze at, whatever your eye is upon, that will grow larger in your heart, and if it's God, you will come to realize that life becomes more manageable, even in the storm, even in such a difficult time. It's a beautiful thought. It's kind of like Moses sending the spies, if you know the story, into the promised land, sent a bunch of guys in, First group of guys come back, oh, we can't go in there. There's giants in the land. What were their eyes on? The giants in the land. Joshua and Caleb, they said, we 
have the Lord. We could take that place, no problem. What were their eyes on? The Lord. They had gazed upon him. David says, you are my glory. You see how valuable he is to, the Lord is to King David? He says, they can take away my glory. They can take away my kingdom. But I know they can never take you from me. And that's what matters most to me. The glory of God, I have found, shows up exactly when it's needed. I think this is something that, you know, I I just think about. I think we may get some little taste of it when we sing. That's why I would encourage you to to sing. We say the singing is always much better after the service than it is before the service. But, But come in ready to sing. I mean, I think a lot of people just roll out of bed and get dressed and come to church and don't give much thought to the Lord. But come in ready to sing. And then if you do taste a little bit of the glory of God, when you experience it in life on your own, you'll know what that is. You'll be like, ah, this is what it is. He's here. And David then says, you are the one who, who lifts up my head. That is, you are a restoring God. You are a delivering God. David is confident in God. Now, Absalom and his attacking the Lord's anointed leader crowd, they lift up their own heads in pride and arrogance. David is asking God to lift up his head, and Absalom will absolutely crash and burn. That's what happens when you go against God. Yet I wonder how many of his followers were willing to admit their sin that going against the Lord's anointed, King David, that they were actually finding themselves going up against God. In verse four, King David seems to come to an acceptance of the situation. Yes, sin does beat us down. Our own sin and the sins of others does beat us down, but God lifts us up. David says, I cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard him. He wanted to meet with him. And it said from, from his holy hill, that's the place where God rules. That's Absalom doesn't rule from there. And the Absaloms of the world do not rule from there. And even though King David had left the city of God, he left in a hurry, he was on the run, he left Jerusalem, David knows his desperate prayers are heard by the Lord anywhere he goes because he knows that the Lord delights to meet with his people wherever, wherever. Seems to me in verse three and four, he says, I know my God I know he wants to be with me and to meet with me in the storm despite the opinions of other people. But nor is David ignoring his circumstances. It's real. It's happening. And he is proactive in his prayer. And again, once again, the, the, David prays out loud like the Bible writers often do. And as he prays out loud, somehow he seems at peace. God can take care of him. God can take care of his family, his career, his reputation. God wants to meet with him and take care of him. David knows the Lord is a protecting God, a capable God, a restoring God, an easy-to-reach God who wants to meet with you in the storm. Selah.
Think about that. Don't forget that. Deposit that in your heart, whether you need it today or you'll need it tomorrow. Number three, God wants to be with you in the storm. Not only will he listen to you, he wants to be with you. Verse five, he says, I lay down and slept. I awoke for or because the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people. Some versions say thousands of people who have set themselves or who stand against me all around or people who are on every side of me. We said that God is sovereign, that God is in charge. And even though King David is in trouble, he can still be calm knowing God is good. Here King David seems to say, because I know what you are like, God, I can sleep. Just imagine you have all these people chasing against chasing you. Could you sleep? I mean, my goodness. We can't even sleep if we have a cup of coffee too late before we go to bed. <laughs> this guy's got thousands of people hunting him down, and he's going to sleep. It's incredible. He knows I can go to sleep, I can wake up, and nobody will kill me. Now he knows he's the anointed king of God. That doesn't mean a life of without trouble. And do you know if you're a follower of Jesus, you are the anointed of God? Do you know that? I don't be walking around all puffed up, you know, like a peacock. I'm the anointed one. You know, thou shalt not touch the Lord's anointed. No, we don't talk like that. That's the way goofball pastors talk. Okay? No, he, he knows that God has him. So praying in verse 3 and 4 has given way to what? Rest in verse 5. A lack of fear in verse 6. This is a total confidence in the Lord. This is what a confident life in God looks like. You don't have your moments. I'm not saying you don't have your moments, but he brings you back. He brings you back. He brings you back. But you know what you have to do? You have to selah. You have to pause. How else could you explain being able to sleep under such circumstances. It's like Jesus sleeping in the boat. Here you have these fishermen. They're out there on the boat. There's a big storm. They grew up in a boat, and they're freaking out. And the carpenter, who grew up on land, <laughs> they're like, how can you be asleep? Don't you care? He's like, huh? <laughs> Trusting in his father. It's interesting that through the word of God, through prayer and through the experience of the presence of God, sometimes you will find that peace is almost immediate or even immediate. Not always. I don't want to say that. But here's the thing that's important to understand. He has peace, but they're still chasing him, correct? So he doesn't have, God doesn't give him peace by delivering from the trouble. He gives him peace in the midst of, of the trouble. So some things in life we just have to go through. But he gives him peace in the midst of the trouble. Yes, God is sovereign. He is in control. But, and I know a lot of you don't want to hear this, and it's not going to make me a popular preacher, sometimes God's plan is for you and for me to suffer. Sometimes that is the plan. 
Yet, peace in the midst of suffering is possible. And you will find it will draw you closer to God and more confident in him. You say, how does that work? No idea. No idea. I don't know anything about cars. I do know this. I get in, I turn the key on, and it goes. <laughs> That's all I need to know. That's all I need to know. That's why God invented mechanics. <laughs> right? How does this work? I don't know. But I do know that it does. And you say, well, it doesn't always work. You got to keep at it. You got to keep at it. A thousand years later, after Jesus died on the cross and ascended to heaven, the apostle Paul wrote this when he was in a storm. He said, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, we are hard pressed on every side. Does that sound like things are going well? No, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. We're confused. God, what are you doing? But we are not in despair. Because why? Comforted by the presence of God. Knowing that God wants to be with him in the storm. We see here, David does not underestimate the enemies. He says, there's thousands on every side. But he also says, but God with me? That's more than enough. That's more than enough. I'm going to be fine. King David tells us, the Lord sustained me. And I drifted off into sleep. Those of you who are parents, you, you know this. You say this sometimes to your little one. You just say, I'll stay with you until you fall asleep. Picture God you know, rubbing your head or rubbing your back or whatever it is and just, or reading you a story and just saying, I'll stay here with you. It's going to be okay. Number four, God wants to help you in the storm. So life's falling apart. He wants, to, he wants to meet with you. He wants to be with you, but he wants to help you. See, here's something I've noticed about the Bible writers that tends to be different than the way we operate. We tend to make a plan, and then we pray about it. Did you do that? We make a plan, and then we pray about it. The Bible writers tend to pray, and then they make a plan. I think it's a better way to do it. God, you want us to do this? What's your guidance? Well, how do we do this? Right? It doesn't take away the wisdom of a good plan, but they pray first. Then knowing God is with them or with us, he turns despair into hope. Look at verse 7. Look what David says. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. The idea kind of seems to be, uh, how about now? <laughs> right? Now would be a good time, Lord. For you have struck all my enemies in the cheekbone, you have broken the teeth of the ungodly, of the wicked. Now, some of you are like, what? What does he want God to go? He wants the guys to like go see the orthodontist or something like that? What is this? <laughs> Verse eight. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. Maybe somebody needs to take that and circle that in their Bible right now or write that on their notepad right now. Simply this, your blessing is upon your people because right now you just don't see it, sense it, or have any idea that it's there, but it is. It's a very personal cry, yet King David has peace and the fear 
is subsiding or has subsided, and now David prays for victory. King David is praying for future victory. And it's interesting, the way he's praying, he's praying now as if God has already done it. Now, he prays very differently than we do. When is the last time you prayed that, somebody, that God would sock somebody in the jaw? <laughs> I'm sure some of you have prayed, Lord, would you please shut that guy up? <laughs> Wives, never pray that about your husband. That's mean. <laughs> He says, break your jaw, silence them, take the teeth out of the lion, if you will. Now, this is Bible geek stuff. This is what we call imprecatory psalms, imprecatory praying. That's what, they, that's what we call it. But it's important to understand why someone would pray like this. David is the chosen king. His son will die and he will grieve more than anyone. He will grieve more than anyone. It's like Absalom, Absalom, my son. He wished that he had died instead of Absalom. But that's why he's a type of Jesus in that way. But David is the chosen king, not Absalom, so the enemies must go. So while David's prayer is, arise, O Lord, Against, he's praying against those who arise against me. He's also praying, would you please arise against anyone, Lord, who arises against you? Because you have chosen me to be your representative here. It's also important to see that the Old Testament judgments, which I know a lot of Christians hate and a lot of people want to skip over, but you shouldn't. The Old Testament judgments should, that God makes should give, light your heart for evangelism on fire. Why? Because they are pictures of the final judgment of God. And you and I should not want anyone to ever have to experience that. You say, well, why would God have to do that? Well, that's probably one he's going to answer for us. I will just tell you this. Just look at the cross. Look at what it took for God to save his people from their sins. How violent was that? How nasty was that? Verse 8 drives home what we said at the beginning. King David's expectations of God are for deliverance and for blessing. In verse 2, they said there is no help for him in God. Remember that? David's reaction is, oh, yes. Oh, yes, there's lots of help. You people are very, very wrong. In fact, King David expects the Lord to bring deliverance to him, but not just him. Look at what he says. Your blessing is upon your people. It is. While Absalom is an angry man, David is the shepherd king. David serves God and all the people. And he will even serve Absalom's people because that's the kind of king he is. What we see in King David is a man pointing to and looking forward to the full blessing to come in the anointed Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. David's advice to all of us is to seek 
the Lord's shelter from the storm. The Lord wants you to do that because salvation and deliverance belong to the Lord. The cross of Christ is your shield from the judgment of God against yours and my sins. For that to happen on the cross, the one they knew as Jesus of Nazareth, the perfect man, God become a man, had no shield from the judgment of God. There was no glory for Jesus at that moment, or it didn't seem like there was. There was no deliverance as there on the cross, Jesus Christ stood in your place and in my place for your sins. And the forgiveness of sins and eternal life is yours if you will only put your trust in Jesus instead of yourself. When Jesus was on the cross, uh, people were yelling at him. Matthew 27, 43, it says, some people were said, it said, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Doesn't sound a lot like what they were saying about to David. God's not gonna help this guy. And then they added on to Jesus. Uh, he said, I am the son of God. It's so similar to what King David said. They won't save you from Absalom, but maybe not. Maybe that's not exactly what they were saying. Maybe they were really saying to David, you know what? You are not really God's chosen king. You might think you are, but you're really not. And maybe that was ringing in Jesus's ear. Maybe that's what it was. You said you were the son of God, but maybe you're not. Now, remember this, loved ones. So often, when discouragement comes to you, you will find it attacks your identity in Jesus Christ. And when your identity in Jesus Christ is attacked, it's like you become open season. And you must hold on to that identity very, very dearly. Notice when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't ask God to break the cheekbones of the enemies. What did Jesus do? He turned the other cheek. What did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He died. Unlike David, who was saved, he died, but he defeated sin and death and then rose from the dead. David ran from Absalom. Jesus didn't run from his Absalom. His Absalom was Judas Iscariot. What did he do? In the upper room, he washed his feet. I just like wonder what that scene was like. Did he look at him and did he look at him and say, you don't have to do this? Or just did he look at them with those eyes and say, listen, my father will figure out another way, man. You're one of my boys. You don't have to do this. Offering them, and, and a lot of times we just picture the washing of Jesus' feet as just being a servant. But it's also a picture of, we say the way we walk is the way we live. Jesus is saying, I will wash you from your sins offering even to Judas Iscariot. But he said, no, 
If you're not a follower of Jesus, what do you say to Jesus today? Do you say, yes, Lord, I want this, or do you say, no, I'm good? The good news of the gospel is this, that God's enemies can become God's friends and have no fear of the judgment of God. Why? Because Jesus took the judgment of God for you. Because Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. And because Jesus wants to be the shelter from the storm of God's judgment for you. Jesus wants to bless you. He wants to deliver you from your fears. And today, do not leave here unless you really have put down somewhere that the blessing of God is upon his people. Thank you for spending the last half hour with Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to help you deepen your relationship with Christ no matter where you are in your journey. Teaming with Changed by Love financially makes it possible to reach thousands, many more than you and I could reach on our own. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Please consider a generous gift today. Give safely and securely online at changedbyloveradio.org. You'll find our address there too if you'd rather send a check. You can always reach us by phone at 862-217-9686. It takes a team to encourage thousands. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney. changedbyloveradio.org.